Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of Early Stage Critical Moments. I'm your host Stuart Dale and today I am thrilled to welcome Gary Azuma, the founder of Tangent. Gary and the team at Tangent are on a mission to make employee referrals accessible to everyone and not just the privileged few with the best networks. Gary talks tips on fundraising, lessons from early conversations with mentors around selling your product and how he was able to close Go Cardless and other incredible businesses after only existing for a matter of weeks as a business. Here we go. Gary, thank you so much for joining. Tell everyone who you are. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Who am I? It's like an existential kind of question. <laughs> no, I'm Gary, co-founder and CEO of Tangent, early stage founder, a very mission purpose-driven person. Yeah, like super early stage founder. We've just closed our first round of funding, backed by an incredible kind of group listening of investors, which is very exciting. Early in the journey, lots to learn. Like, and that's actually what's really exciting. It's like all these like learnings that are going to come. Yeah. But yeah, doing well so far. So awesome. yeah, that's me. Nice. And what is the business? Tell us what, what you what you do or what the vision is. Yeah, sure. So at Tangent, as I mentioned, very purposeful, mission driven person, like our mission is to create a world where the social context you're born into like do not determine your career and life outcomes because quite frankly, right now they do. Mm. You know, like there's a stat from the OECD that says that if you're born into the bottom 10% of incomes, which is where, where I was born, right? I grew up low income and all of that. Uh, it will take you five generations, which is equal to 150 years oh. to reach just average income. So not not rich, not, you know, living a lavish, not draw the river, you know, just average, which in the UK is around 30K. Wow. But that takes you to go from the bottom 10% where I was to 30K, 150 years. And that to me is just like a clear admission of the fact that what you're born into determines your life outcomes, which is so frustrating though, because like none of us have any influence of what we're born into. Yeah. Our parents meet, they make love and they have us. <laughs> and like the financial and social circumstances that they're born into determines where we end up. And that just needs to change. I'm fed up with that. And so that's like kind of the vision, the, vision, the mission, the vision behind Tangent. And today, the first step in kind of creating and shaping that world we are an employee referral platform nice. that combines video, AI, and then a dynamic marketplace to make employee referrals accessible to everyone and not just the privileged few with the best networks. Nice. Yeah. And that's important because typically people uh, that are employed by some of the big companies come from a, a privileged background or give us some, some vision. Yeah, sure. So when you think about employee referrals, so you're at least nine times more likely to get hired if you are referred, 82% of companies rank it as their best hiring channel. Mm. This is all incredible, this is all amazing, right? If you have a professional network, but if you come from a background like mine, you know, again, low income, single parent family, all that good stuff that gives life character, I, I like to say, like despite your talent potential drive, you don't know people yeah. that work at Google or LinkedIn or Facebook. And you know, that means you can never get referred and that significantly affects, affects your career outcomes. So, and yeah, we've spoken during our user research, we've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of companies, mm -hmm. and this by far is the like most preferred, most prolific hiring channel. In fact, we spoke to, I won't say the name, but we spoke to one company, global company, you know, publicly listed tech company, you'd all know of it for sure. Mm. 65% of their global hiring comes from employee referrals, two thirds. For every 100 hires they make, only two would come from a job application. So 2% of this global, 100,000 people plus come from job, which is where the majority of people from backgrounds like mine think you can get a job. Wow. You know, I didn't know what employee referrals were until I started my career, I never heard of the concept in my life. And, but yet that's you know the biggest kind of, it's like almost like this nepotistic, so hiring channel that exists in plain sight, but no one's talking about it. Insane. And yeah, I thought there was a big opportunity to build something that can make things more equal. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, still drive tremendous value to customers because ultimately we are a business. Yeah. And we're we're building that. That's yeah, very cool. So so let's understand the logistics. So how does it actually work? Like sure. tell for anybody listening, maybe that has has this challenge, like from a em employer hiring perspective. Tell us how. How Tangent works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So at a high level, I don't want to borrow all the, the minutiae, but so as I mentioned, we're like a, a marketplace. There's yep. two sides. There's job seekers and then there's employees yep. who, job seekers that want to get referred and there's employees that actually make the referrals, right? Uh, a job seeker comes on, they kind of share their previous experience, their story, and they ultimately submit a video pitch. It's one yep. to two minutes in length when they say why they're interested in a particular role, why they know they're a good match for it. And then these video pitches can be viewed by employees within these tech companies who come on to Tangent, who want to refer, maybe get a bonus if they make a successful hire, develop their skills, whatever particular reason. 
and they can view video pitches, the ones they think are a good match. They can reach out to that particular job seeker, you know, hey Stuart, senior video pitch, think you could be a great match for X company. Let's have a call to see. And if after that call, you think it's a good match, you can refer them in. So we're now making referrals accessible to everyone and not just those people that have, you know, that are born into the right media. Nice. And what about like coaching for the applicants? Like how, how do you help there? Yeah, so we provide a lot of different resources to help them, you know, come onto Tangent, how to, you know, upskill on the roles that you want to, to, to do, how to create a compelling video pitch. So there's a lot of content that we create on that side, learn content around the particular roles. We've implemented AI to help people develop their own kind of pitch scripts so that they're compelling and help them get noticed. So there is a whole kind of learn and development piece on that so that when they do come to recording their video pitch, it's like in the best position possible so that they can get noticed by a particular employee. Amazing. Okay. So you said the business is early stage. When was it founded? Like, give us some perspective on, on the timings. Yeah, so we're in 2023 now, and company was founded in 2022. We really kind of kicked things off this time last year. So October 2022 is when, yeah, things started moving for us. So at that point, we launched our MVP. We very quickly, like, basically no ad spend grew to, like, you know, thousands of users, made our initial kind of sales to unicorn companies, like, go cardless. But yeah, we're just about a year old. And obviously now we've just closed our fundraise. So we've really got that rocket fuel now to kind of, like, take tangent to the next level. Definitely difficult fundraising in this in this, in this environment, but made it happen. But yeah, just, just a year old. Nice. Okay, so let's go back a year. You launched the business. How do you sign Go Cardless and Multiverse? Because they are top tier businesses, most most companies that are in hiring intelligence or some space similar sure. want these businesses because they are the, you know, the tier one accounts. How did you do that? Like how how developed was the product? Tell us tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think the one of the reasons that's gonna help us or make sure that we like, do well and win is just like our culture of experimentation. So at this early stage, we're just like, let's try lots of different things. If it works, we double down on it. If it doesn't, we scrap it, we move on. And so when we kind of, actually even taking a step back, what even gave us like the audacity to think that we could even sell for an MVP, because at a point that just was not possible for me. You know, I, I didn't get to talk about it in kind of the, the beginning, but you know, I started my career at LinkedIn, was there for three and a half years, started in their graduate program. I rolled off into the sales team, selling their HR solutions to companies. So I know this space really well. Yeah. One of the top performers actually was the first sales rep at LinkedIn globally to ever hit a quarterly target just with multi-year contracts, like not be number four. So I'm good at selling to this type of buyer, this type of this type of solution, but I only ever sold like really elegant and sophisticated Incredible tools. technology, yeah. You know, you know, just like the creme de la creme, because like LinkedIn, <laughs> they're good products. So the idea of being able to sell to a customer like the names I've mentioned with an MVP that has so much friction, very little features and functionality. I just didn't even think like, it wasn't in my realm of like of possibility. Yeah. But I had a, fortunately met a great guy called Tim. Lots of time for him. I had a chat with him once and he mentioned that he's an exited founder. And he said that when he was, you know, kind of getting kind of validation around the concept of his business, he made sales to customers. They gave him money, didn't have a product. <laughs> and so and that just, I was just like, what? Like how, how? Like people do that? Like people, it just did, it, it almost truly like exploded my mind. And, you know, we had a we were conversations around the whole kind of situation and it just, it just broadened my mindset of what's possible. And it then gave me the audacity to be able to think, actually, we have something. It's got users. Mm. It's got these video pitches, which is an in-demand hiring asset. Like, let's see. <laughs> so, you know, let's be humbled and buy the market and not like disqualify ourselves from not having something that we think could generate any sort of revenue. So with that mindset, we then went out and just thought, you know, let's experiment and see what could work. And one of the experiments we have, the, the platforms we thought would be good for us in terms of getting kind of, you know, any kind of validation or yeah. traction was LinkedIn. So yeah, we posted on LinkedIn. We had someone else who's kind of got a bit of a brand on LinkedIn in the recruitment space post about us. And that did really well. One of the, in this case, the talent partner at Go Cardless, one of them commented on this post about Tangent, saying this is a great idea. You know, the, the former salesperson in me says that's like a that's a warm lead. <laughs> Jumped straight into her DMs, explained what the concept was, and you know, a couple of calls later, they bought. So it was very much kind of stemming from the fact that you can actually make sales without a fully fledged, you know, elegant, beautiful product, which for me at one point just didn't even seem like a thing. Yeah. And that you should just experiment and try things and not be precious. 
with, if anything, I think at this stage, even definitely still now, even though we have fundraised, it's just still about just like trying things, learning quickly. The pace of learning is very important, iterating, yeah. dialing down what works, scrapping what doesn't and keep on going. But that's how we made our first sale. It's awesome because I think it's, it's incredible to think that, like I, I meet a lot of founders that haven't, uh, acquired customers because the product isn't perfect right but what i'm hearing is that you found this way i don't know like explain what the mvp literally like <laughs> what, what like I, I guess was it was it on figma was it an actual product did you have sure. like could somebody log in could they not log in yeah like because i think there's a big blocker for people that they don't have that perfect product so they don't go out and acquire customers so mm. like what are we dealing with here yeah i think so i think i would say you know shout out to my co-founder joe he did a good job but i think building an mvp that you know, was was pretty good. So you could log in, you could create your unique okay, account, nice. you could one-to-one -one message, you could upload a video pitch and someone could come on and search. You know, for the, you know, the talent partner at GoGardless Go did come on and search for videos and contact people like directly, that was possible. It wasn't a coded product. And actually, even myself or my co-founder are technical. So we, by force, have to be more creative with how we build products. So effectively what we did is we found this kind of white label product and we use Zapier or Zapier, however you want to pronounce it, to integrate with lots of different tools, MailChimp, Google, yeah. Sheets, all that stuff. So like create an automated way, like it just did the basic things. And so that's what we did. And that cost us maybe like 200 pounds a month. It was nothing to then actually prove the concept and then make our initial sales. But yeah, I think, you know, you, you do have to kind of, I think there's a lot of unlearning, at least for me, yeah. when building kind of early stage companies around what actually is good enough. I think that's what you really need to learn is like, and actually it's quite interesting because when you speak to customers, you realize that some of these problems are so, you know, so strong that, you know, like a four out of 10 solution is actually really good. Yeah. Because there's nothing at the moment or nothing that's meeting that need. So if you can just do something that's decent, like that's that could actually be enough for them to purchase. And sure, the better the product is, the, you know, the the higher the ACV or the contract value you can actually command. And we, you know, we weren't making, you know, millions of pounds at yeah, this yeah. early stage, but it was something. And I think when we became, less precious around how the product should look or how we'd want it to look and just thought it's just like meeting a need we were we felt a bit more comfortable to go out and pitch and i won't lie it was you know i'm gonna kind of create this picture i was like you know no, i was nervous like you know getting on and demoing this mvp i was like oh you know, like, you know and something pops up on the screen that shouldn't be there oh don't worry about that it's a glitch you know so, no it wasn't all perfect and it was definitely nerve-wracking and daunting but i feel like one thing I've learned is you have to like fear the fit, feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah. And so did that and yeah, got that good validation. So and then also that GoCardless yeah made a hire from it. It was really powerful actually from GoCardless, the, the talent partner there almost verbatim said to us that had she seen the hire they'd made through Tangent CV, she wouldn't have shortlisted him. He'd been out of work for a while, just too many red flags. But actually coming to Tangent, knowing what our talent pool is and then seeing his character drive personality through video. That's what got him noticed. That's what got him in the interview process. And that's what got him hired. And just hearing that, that was just like, we're onto something. Because not only are people like this candidate missing out on great opportunities to work in amazing companies like GoCardless, the companies are also missing out on this, like these amazing talent that exist. We exist. But the traditional methods of CV, these archaic tools, cover letters, they don't work for everyone else, for everyone. And you're actually missing out on a, on the majority of the population that could be incredible, a good credible fit for your for your business. So it's like, okay. This in this scrappy way, this high friction MVP and all the you know the things around it that aren't perfect, you still found value, you still purchased, and you still made a hire. Like something must be there. Wow. Mm -hmm. So what's the the tips to founders currently that are blocked because they don't have an MVP? Like what what would you just say like of your learnings a year ago? What what were like two or three things that that you would share as 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 key tips? There's lots of things. I think one as I already mentioned, it's like not be precious with what you think like is perfect. Yeah. And one thing, so, so my company was incubated through Zinc. So like a venture builder, they kind of find individuals, you join their program, you find a co-founder, a lot of time for Zinc, check them out, they're great, Zinc VC. And they take a really like, they like if I did, had I started my company outside of that, I would <laughs> I don't think we'd be here. They, I learned a lot through, through Zinc. And they take a very user centric approach to building products. And I remember in uh, one of the early talks they, they had when we were, on the program. If you're not talking to your users, then you're making fake progress. And that always stuck with me. Like it just, it just made sense. So I think in startup land, you can get distracted by so many things that don't actually move your business forward. Go into conferences, you know, abroad, speaking on panels, you know, going to lots of different networking events. Like these are nice and I'm sure there is value yeah. to them, but like at, at this particular point in time, which is early stage, are they moving your company forward? Probably not. 
And I think speaking to users is gonna do that because that's where you develop the insights around, you know, what you should build, how you should build it, how you should position it and so forth. Yeah. And I think that was something we've always done. We've done over 250 close, probably like 300 user interviews now. We had a design partnership with some amazing companies to really inform like what the enterprise solution should be. You know, don't build in absence of your target user, customer, member, because you're probably gonna bring the wrong, build the wrong thing. And that doing that will save you so much time. So I think that's one thing. I think, yeah, I think again, like just, have the have like the market or the company humble you and tell you their product your product isn't good enough. Don't do that to yourself. If you built something and you know it's meeting an unmet need and you think there's a gap in the market that this can fill, um, just start getting it in front of people. Yeah. Getting that feedback. Um, it is nerve-wracking and people will tell you that your child is ugly and that's sad, you know, but <laughs> that's how you grow and yeah. that's how you get better. And I think the more we just like release things. And don't wait until they're like at that right moment onto their puppet. I think the better you'll get that feedback and you can start to kind of grow the business. So yeah. I think those would be some of the tips on top of on top of my mind. Nice. So you have you're not a technical founder, but you are a founder with pretty incredible sales background. And like I get the sense that you're very determined that you kind of smash through walls when you want to achieve something. For sure. Where does that come from? Yeah, good question. It probably does come from my upbringing, I'd say. So yeah, you know, I'm a very vulnerable person. I yeah, grew up low income, as I already mentioned, single parent family. I, you know, one of five kids, didn't meet my dad till I was nine years old. All the things in life, again, I think gives character and flavor, you know, definitely has given it to me, but for sure develops resilience. Like my mother is incredible, but you know, single parent raising five kids in a country that she's not from, like it's tough. And that meant that she didn't have all the time in the world to, to like hate to like all our individual needs. Like, you know, yeah. she did an incredible job, but you know, she's busy and she's trying to run the house and everything like that. So by force, by nature, I had to be very like proactive and like get things done by myself because I couldn't wait for you know, other people to do that for me. So just kind of reflecting on that upbringing, that's where it's come from. And you know, when you don't grow up with much, I think that you have to be determined and you have to be driven and you have to like, almost like you have to break down doors and it's yeah. it's the thing that's easier said than done and I understand like I try not to be too cavalier of saying these things because whilst I whilst I do think there's a big onus on individuals to you know own their destiny ultimately we live in existing systems and structures where like it is who you know and what not what you know and so you can be pushing down doors and banging down doors but like if those doors aren't open for you yeah like opportunity it's gonna be difficult to avail of, but I think as a fundamental characteristic of, like of who I am, it definitely has come like root from my upbringing, which is why I'm actually so grateful that I had it because now I'm just like so determined. I just like a lot of the things, like particularly in Startland, there's many things that we're doing where I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, and like I lie in bed and I'm like, I have no idea I'm gonna do this thing, like, but I just gotta figure it out. Just gotta go, and I've done way too many things in my life now where I felt this way, and I have had no clue how to do something. And I've made it happen. And that's definitely with Tangent as well. You know, Joe and I have done so many things that we just didn't think at one point was possible. Building an MVP, getting traction, making sales, fundraising, like all that at one point did feel impossible, but you just got to try. And yeah, but I would always reflect back on how I grew up and the circumstances around that. And I think another thing quite finally about my mom, my mother, she, you know, when I was younger, a lot of the time, if I ever doubted myself, you know, I'd go into, there's an exam on a particular day and I'm like, oh, well, I didn't study enough. I don't think I'm going to do well. She would like, she, it's funny now, but at the time it was horrifying. She would literally like get angry at me. Like, what do you mean you're not going to pass that exam? Yes, you are. Like she would genuinely be mad at me for doubting myself. Mm. And I think that's served as like a kind of positive reinforcement. It's like now I always just like believe in myself because I always remember my mom's behind me. She would get angry <laughs> if I doubt myself. And I don't want that. So I was like, you know what, I can do it. Nice. So yeah, definitely upbringing. So, so tell me then, like how, with your upbringing that you've been very honest about, how then a job at LinkedIn, right? Because for a lot of people, you know, the dream of getting a job at LinkedIn seems a million miles away. So sure. how, how did you, how did you achieve that? Yeah, it's, I think again, very proactive. So I did a summer internship at the end of my second year at, at a bank in Barclays, Canary Wharf. I, you know, was earning hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds a month, like more money, you know, growing up in free school meals, it was like, what is this world? But I ended that summer internship knowing that I did not want to work in finance. I just did that because, you know, all, a lot of my other friends were doing it and I heard you can make lots of money. And obviously we grow up with little, you want that. Yeah. And I also didn't want to work straight away. And I, and I also wanted to be a bit more pers purposeful in the type of company that I wanted to work in. So when I was looking for like opportunities, job opportunities, I was looking more at mission 
around companies and LinkedIn's one stood out to me a lot. It's to create economic opportunity or their vision is to create economic opportunity for the global workforce. And for someone who didn't come from much or have much economic opportunity, that just really stood out to me. So that was like a laser focused yeah. like company that I wanted to work for. And, but I didn't really work there. You know, I, again, I don't have this network, right? So what I did is I went onto LinkedIn and I typed in LinkedIn in the search box to see who I knew. Cause I didn't know anyone personally, but did I know anyone who knew someone that worked at LinkedIn? And I had one person that I met at this like leadership program that I did in my first year of university. I shot her a message and I said, hey, you know, long time, you know, how are you? I see you're connected to X. I'm super interested in working in this company. Would you be open to introducing me? And then she said, yes. And I wrote her a message, which she sent to him. Didn't hear back from him for like three weeks. And I was like, well then, you know, it's not meant to be, you know, that's, that's how it is. But he did come back arranged the meeting in the LinkedIn London office. That went well. He then basically referred me, but I didn't know this until after I got hired. Wow. And then, yeah, referred me, the campus recruiter for their graduate program called the Business Leadership Program, reached out to me. I had a call with her. She was like, great, went well. And I went from there straight to on-site interview. So I didn't actually apply yeah. for the job at LinkedIn. It was just like, through being practical on, on the platform, networking, and I went straight from like, you know, a call with a recruiter, a meeting, a call, and then like getting to the final stage. And then, yeah, I got the job, but it was very much, that's how LinkedIn yeah. came about. Very much kind of like proactivity going out there. And I've always been like that. I've always been one of like Googles, goes on Googles and types in things and, you know, just find stuff. Yeah. I don't really wait for things to come to me. I'm just like kind of going out there and finding it. And that led to start spending three and a half years at what is truly an incredible company. Like yeah. LinkedIn will always be a defining part of my career, not only did I learn so much, met my best friends there, you know, it was great. You know, I was 22 when I started and you had free food, free gym, on-site masseuse, <laughs> it was like, it was silly. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how it kind of came up there. So you got referred essentially for the job, right? Through a referral. And did you know that, was that like in the back of your mind when you decided to build Tangent that you, you got that opportunity through a referral or was it just serendipity that that's yeah, what you've now built. The idea. No, no. So definitely didn't. So actually not through the realization that I, I was referred, but more so just what I observed and like, and, and subsequent things that happened in my career after. So got to LinkedIn now and that's, you know, when at LinkedIn, they have this thing called introduction. It's like the first two days that every employee kind of does with a group yeah. of new joiners at that same time. And you're just basically introduced to the company. And one of the things they ask is like, it's like, how did you get your job at LinkedIn? Or how did you find out about LinkedIn? And, you know, people are sourced. So people like you know, recruiters that use LinkedIn's tools, reach out to people, you know, people are referred or like you're kind of anomaly like myself and you kind of like hustle to get into it. And there, as, I think there was 26 of us in that introduction. And I think 50%, if not more, got referred. And you know the rest was sourced, and there was me. I was like, "What's a referral? Like, how? I, I'd never heard of it before. I'd, I truly only thought the only way you could get a job was to apply for a job online for an ad. And I didn't think there was no other like being sourced, like recruiters reaching out to you for that. Also, didn't exist in my mind either. Yeah. And but just seeing that most people came for a referral, that was just really interesting to me. Mm. And that definitely permeated throughout my entire time. And it's an incredible company. It's amazing, but that was definitely the leading hiring channel. And I noticed that although it is amazing, you know, referrals are quick hires, they're cheap source of hires, they stay longer in companies. There's loads of value yeah. for companies with a referral hire, but they're also really like unfair. Mm. You know, so I was in the UKI team selling, you know, to the UKI market, but I was, and also I was based in Dublin, by the way, the graduate program is based in Dublin. So I was living in Dublin, Ireland. And I'd say about 80% of my team was, you know, private school to South Dublin, like South, South Dublin is the, the Dublin is a bit north south of the River Liffey and the south side is my privileged side and I see like everyone was from private schools specifically from South Dublin not from other parts of Ireland specifically from South Dublin mm. because some of them got in initially and they just referred their friends and that meant so that's like a, an impact on diversity right yeah. you, people from different backgrounds typically weren't getting in at least in this immediate team but also had a massive impact on inclusion because a lot of people were from this like one side of, of Ireland they all were like one degree removed or if not they knew each other so they were already had the same speak, they were all friends, and they just like had these groups yeah. that if you were from London, you know, you just didn't, you could never get in, you couldn't fit in, you didn't understand the jokes, you, they didn't even wanna, they sat with us together at lunch, they didn't invite you, like it was quite exclusionary. So I'd seen this impact on like diversity, how unfair it was, very nepotistic hiring channel, but also all inclusion. I saw that that's, that's a problem that needs to be solved. Mm. And, and then, so that's like one, that happened at LinkedIn. I then actually left LinkedIn after three and a half years. I wanted to have more of an impactful career. 
So I decided to, you know, quit my six-figure job, took an 80% salary reduction, which is very hard when you grow up poor. And I moved to the British Council to lead social mobility programs. Like I, I felt like I'd learned a lot about how to be mobile. I wanted to share that with other people. And whilst I was at the British Council managing these programs, we oftentimes survey our alumni and, you know, ask them what they would want more of and what would help them in their careers. And it was always networking, mm. always more networking, meeting more people. And I just kind of working, hearing from the, like, the audience, like, you know, this is what they want. And then like reflecting on my time at LinkedIn where there was this like incredible hiring channel, which is basically just based on network. Yeah. It just, I just kind of put the two together and then tangent kind of came around. Nice. And how long did you last at the British Council? British Council, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I was there for two years. As if two years, actually, I so my, yeah, have weird, weird career. So the role of the British Council was actually originally based in Beijing. And so I moved to Beijing wow. at the beginning of 2020, Jan 6th, perfect timing. Because, you know, a couple of weeks later, there's this thing, you know, COVID. Well, no, well, you know. Obviously, I was working at the British yeah. Council, which is like, you know, pseudo government. So, and there you're actually employed by the embassy, British embassy. So we heard about this thing in Wuhan. It was Wuhan, like, this thing's happening. Didn't really think much of it. <laughs> a few weeks later, I'm in a pub or a bar in, in Beijing and there's like, Boris Johnson is the prime minister at the time. He's like, if you're a British, if you're bred in China, come home now. I'm just like, what is going on? Like no one really knew the extent of this thing. So only, I was there for about five or six weeks working before I had to come back to London. And I spent the most of my time working remotely from the UK. Wow. And uh, how quickly from seeing that news bulletin did you get on a flight? Yeah, it was probably a couple of days. Crazy. It was very quick. It's like, you just whirlwind, pack your stuff you know, and leave and you, you, who knows. And it was in hindsight, it was totally the right thing to do because I could have stayed, Yeah, but yeah, it was the right thing to do. So you've come through uh, the British Council, you find zinc.vc yeah. and yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, they help you find co-founders yeah. and they help you with ideation. And it's a, a program that that is very supportive for, for founders. You come out and you've got this idea and you then need to raise capital Hmm. And you told me earlier that at one point, I think you had a 70% conversion rate from these initial. <laughs> but, I got but, good. I got, got good. good. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so listen, I'm sure there's a load of people listening right now where yeah. in 2023, the ability to raise capital is super difficult in yeah. comparison to probably the last four, five, six, seven years. Cool. And it's slowing a lot of businesses down. There's a, a very high failure rate right now. Right. What is it that, that you did to raise that, that, capital and and any you know frameworks or guidance that you can share i think would be incredible because i know it's front of mind for a ton of the early stage founders that are listening sure yeah and you know we we managed to fundraise in a, in a very difficult so you know environment with an incredible list of, in, of investors and very proud to have them on the journey and very excited that they've taken a chance on us yeah it's very difficult to fundraise right now and i you know but if I, upon reflection i think because yeah, it did, it did get it was it did get good, and I think it'd be fundraised about four months, three to four months, to raise the amount that we did. And the first kind of half of that time, I was just own goaling, making lots of mistakes, mm. but making sure I had a quick pace of learning and execution on those learnings. And then the kind of the, the remaining half, like you know, got pretty good in that conversion on kind of calls, and particularly from angel investors, very prolific, well-known angels was was really quick. And I think. There were three things that I did that kind of allowed for that to happen. And upon reflection, this wasn't intentional, but when I reflect, I think these are the three things that help people go, you know, after just one call, because most investors committed after one call and most of them haven't actually met my co-founder or didn't meet my co-founder by the time they had committed and you know, wired their money. So I'd say one, the, so the three things I did was demonstrate a connection to the problem, commitment to the problem, and then demonstrate my brilliance. Mm. So I'll just do it, kind of done it already, but I'll do like a very quick whistle-stop tour of my introduction that I typically would have done in a pitch call to an investor, which is quite similar to what I've already done. But I'd say, you know, so I'll start from the beginning, investor, I grew up low income, single parent family, didn't meet my dad until I was nine years old. But since then I've gone through a rapidly, uply mobile journey, did well in school, got into my first university with a scholarship and started my career at LinkedIn, where I quickly became one of the top performers, first sales rep ever to 
head of quality target just with multi-year deals. But towards the end of my three and a half years, I wanted to have more of an impactful career. So I quit my six-figure job, took an 80% salary reduction and moved to the British yep. Council to lead these programs. Whilst I was there, I created my own social mobility podcast that was featured in the media. It won an award from McKinsey and Company and it's kicked off my public speaking career. I do lots of talks in it, most notably at the Oxford Union. So that's like a quick yep. kind of introduction. And so just to play back the framework, right? So connection to the problem, grew up low income, single parent family, didn't mean my dad. Like scratching his own itch, he's you know, clearly passionate about this. Like, great, that's one tick. Commitment to the problem, that LinkedIn, earning well into the six figures, yeah. you know, living my best life by my early mid twenties, but decided to take an 80% salary reduction to lead social mobility programs at the British Council, right? And also whilst he's there, created a social mobility podcast. Now, and obviously our, my company's very aligned to this topic, right? So committed, you know, taking life risk, et cetera. And then demonstrated brilliance, you know, top performer at LinkedIn, first child's rep to do X, podcast, won awards, featured in the media, public speaking everywhere. You know, like those were the, when I look back and I reflect on conversations I've had on investors, because you know, there was a part, you know, when I look at the list of investors that we have, I just feel like, why? Like, you know, in a, in a weird way, I'm just like kind of talking passionately with a lot of, yeah. you know, just because like, I usually believe when I believe in what I am doing, I think I am quite influential, but I'm not really, I'm just speaking really. And I'm just asking people like why, and I think those are the three things. You know, you know connections to the problem, commitment to the problem, demonstrated brilliance. People want to, people like to see that there is something within your story yep. that aligns with the business you're building and how you want to solve something, and that can you know suggest that you will have unique insights into the problem. That you know you're ready to go the long, the, yep. the whole journey, right? Than give up if things aren't going well. You know, commitment to the problem again that you've already taken risk in somewhat way to demonstrate that, you know, when things get hard, because they are going to get hard, that you will, again, like you'll be resilient and you will kind of test that time, but you're someone who's actually already like, tried to make change yeah. on the topic that you're in. And then demonstrated brilliance. I think ultimately, I think every investor wants to back winners or someone that they believe is exceptional and can do, you know, to produce outlier results. And I think, you know, fundraising is not an exercise of humbleness. Yeah. This is about beating your chest and saying that like, you are brilliant. And this is why, evidenced by X, Y, Z. I think those three things together, of course, supplemented by, you know, your pitch deck, a data room, all these other materials that go with fundraising. I think that was what helped us fundraise in the time that we, in a fairly short amount of time that we did with the group of investors in this particular market. So for people that don't know any super angels or don't know any angels, mm. how do they go about finding them? Yeah, good question. And I'm oftentimes asked that because you mentioned Super Angels and that really was like the thing that changed. So we had two, you know, Super Angels, well-known angels in the kind of ecosystem and commit to around fairly, you know, small tickets, mm. but tremendous value, particularly in terms of their network. So what they did is they committed and once they did, they didn't just send out these messages to their network. And my God, so much came back with just incredible people that just naturally, I just wouldn't be able to have kind of that contact with. And then, you know, what was two fairly modest tickets you know, under 10K, I'm talking here, then turned into like hundreds of thousands of pounds collectively when, you know, just wasn't, you know. And obviously that's like not something that everyone, I can, you know, I met these two people in very like kind of esoteric, you know, kind of ways that you couldn't necessarily suggest to someone to like just, you know, there's a playbook to do that. Yeah. But I think the the premise of finding super angels who can then open their network or unlock their network for you is something that can be applied uh, in different areas. and. One thing that I suggest other people do, and I think actually people get results from is, I think a few months ago, earlier this year, Founders Forum and Bewhurst, I believe, released this list of the top 100 angel um, investors in the UK. They've listed all their names, what they invest, what have they previously invested in, the type of things they like to. So the salesperson to me goes, that is a ready-made leads list. Let's go. Do you know, like a <laughs> hundred of them, you know, and it's there for me. If I was speaking to, when I do speak to founders now, I say, find that list, Go for it, it will take you time, it will, right? Find that list, find the relevant investors on that list and best case scenario, try and get a warm introduction to them. If not, write a really good personalized introduction via LinkedIn or whatever means that you can email, et cetera. Because if you can get one, two or three of those super angels to invest and they then unlock their networks for you, it can make, you know, change everything. Because sometimes I almost feel like we didn't have those two people come into our round. What, what would be happening? It'd be quite scary. It's scary to think about actually, but it, you know, it was, it, you know, that is the advice I'd give. I'd be like, where are these, where are a concentration of angels and how can I go there? And, you know, then kind of access. So yeah, Founders Forum, Buhurst, Top 100 Angels, that's just that. But I suppose it also touches on another frustration that I have of just, you know, because clearly I can fundraise, right? 
or I can at least, you know, from angels. And, you know, we did actually get a term sheet for a fund, but we actually turned it down because we had such good traction of angels and we'd get a better, better valuation, et cetera. But, you know, clearly I've, all, I've, I've got it in me. I've always had that, but it took me having to break into particular networks to then available the capital that is abundant, I'd say, to even have a chance. Mm. And it's just that you realize underscore, like in every what way, you know, returning us what we exist to do, it is what you know and not like, you know, is who you know and not what you know. And I will die in that hill, you know, and it really does come back to like what we're born into because what you're born into does determine whether you have access to these privileged networks or not. Because there's so many people like me who have the ability and potential to, you know, when you put them in front of someone, they can sell and they have great ideas and yeah. they are, have great work, but they just can't access that opportunity. It just makes you think how many people are, how many great ideas are not being built? How many great founders are not getting backed? You know, because it just, yeah. Because if you remove those few angels, God, Stuart, Hard. it's tense. Like I, we would eventually have fundraised. I no doubt that we would have, but maybe not as well or as quick as we did. And how hard did you have to work? Like what, how intense was that period where you were fundraising? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, particularly as a first time founder in 2023, it's, it's challenging. Yeah, there were days where, you know, I don't, I don't mind getting no's, you know, someone rejecting saying no or not now, that's, that's fine. That's just life. And if you're learning from it, then actually it's a good thing you're growing and developing. What was really challenging for me was kind of like going into weeks where I didn't have pipeline or like other investor calls. That was challenging. And so, you know, there'd be a particular week where I'd look into the following week and my calendar is empty. <laughs> Those days just be lying in bed, like feeling paralyzed. Like the weight of the world is just like sinking on you. And you know, it's, it's it, yeah, it was tough in those in those in those moments. And yeah, how do you even find these people ultimately? Yeah. And you know, again, fortunately, you had these angels commit, and then they shared us. And you know, that particular week where or weeks where things were right, you know, then to with nothing by the end of it, I would have had you know twenty calls just because like people introduced and things would come in. So that 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 was tough. You know, just like you know, access to people. Yeah. But yeah, once we kind of got our rhythm, I think what I really did prioritize was just like a quick pace of learning. You know, if I got to know, I always really try to, even in the core, I try to develop, you know, a quick enough relationship with someone that even if they were going to pass, they're going to give me, you know, like you know, helpful feedback. And you'd seek that? I always. Yeah. Like, you know, so I, in, like, on the core, it's, I try to as much as I can, even 30 minutes, whatever, just try and get to know the person as an individual. Because then at least I, I find in my experience, they're a bit more open to actually giving you like actionable feedback rather than it's too early. It's not for yeah. us, like, that's, that's not helpful. So I was quite fortunate to always get good feedback in like in passes that we did have. And so for getting that, it's very key to then like have a very quick pace of learning and then execution on that learning for the next calls that you have. So, you know, if I had a no on a Monday because defensibility wasn't clear, that entire night before my 9 a.m. call on Tuesday, yeah. I am building a solid case on defensibility. I'm not sleeping until it's done. Yeah. You know, so it's like, got that feedback. I, I like the, the thought of going into another call and someone else passing because of the same feedback everyone someone else would just kill me. I just like, I'm, that's why am I making that mistake? They, yeah. I, I know this is something that I need to work on. So I mean, that that's like going through those challenging times and like, you know, not having things on your calendar and getting those no's, but like make sure extracting feedback and I'm like quick, quick pace of learning and execution on those is what kind of got us through. Yeah. So as a first time founder, you mentioned valuation. Uh, I'm sure for people listening, they've heard the term valuation. Maybe some have achieved a valuation because they have been successful, but how how did you navigate valuation of, of the business? Like where did you seek counsel for? Like who, who was coaching you or did you just Google it and figure it out? Like what, what was going on? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, valuation definitely at the pre-seed C stages, like, you know, finger in the air type of, you know, I think there are things that you can put into that you can take stock of that does determine evaluation, the years of experience, the level yep. of traction you've had, domain expertise, et cetera, that can all inform it. But, you know, I see it as a sales process. You start with a price and you negotiate around it. And that's how we approached it. Like we didn't, we, you know, we looked at a few different kind of charts and like the historical, you know, what's a good valuation or what's the typical range and evaluation and average and so forth and use that as kind of like a benchmark and then, you know, and above it. <laughs> and yeah, just went out to the market, I suppose. And so I suppose evaluation at this stage is just what people are prepared to pay for. That's it, right? Like what yeah. people are willing to pay for, they will take it, yes or no. And we had a valuation that was we're, we're happy with and we just tested it. And I think we've, you know, we had, decent traction, you know, we had a product, we had users, we had sales and we had hires through those sales. I think that's pretty decent with with spending, you know, little money. You know, we had, yeah, our monthly, it was, we were spending, we were, we were spending no money. Let's do that, we've had those results with the, the kind of the cash we were burning and so forth. We, you know, we felt we could ask, yeah. at least ask, you know, have, don't, you can't, if you don't ask, can't, you know, get. So 
yeah, we just kind of navigated it, treated it like a sales process, I suppose. Cool. So you had Zinc supporting you at the initial ideation, taking you through there. Totally. Have you have you seeked any other support out with your angels? Are you part of any other programs that are helping where you are now to where you want to be in the, the coming months and years? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are very fortunate to be one of only 15 companies across Europe out of over 4,000 applications to receive a spot on Google's Black Founders Fund this year. Yeah, so it's an incredible program. You get, you know, kind of a six-figure equity-free cash investment into your business. You get hundreds of thousands of pounds of Google Cloud credits. You get lots of support from the Google team, from marketers to engineers to product teams. Like, And then it's also like just, I think, underscoring all that kind of business value, they really emphasize like the fun. So, you know, we've socials here, socials there. They're taking us to Cape Town in December. So, you know, it's, yeah. And, you know, and also like there's this incredible community of other black founders, you know, who have been backed by Axel, Sequoia, just incredible funds. And like, this is now my, my, my network and who I get to be motivated by and learn from. And yeah, Google are really invested in our success. Amazing. So, you know, you could just, again, they're just, they're, they're kind of approaches ask we may not always be able to help but like we're google we're a huge business and like you're on this program it's very competitive like where we can support you we, we can and you know right now there's just so many things that we're focusing on where they've just been tremendously helpful on and yeah very fortunate to be a part of the the google community how do you go from four thousand applicants to the the fifth <laughs> one of the 15 that gets chosen like what was the yeah. secret sauce there oh did you ask that um i think it's like because it's very, you know, there's a number of interviews and there's a selection process which actually includes like leadership of GV, so like Google's like venture arm, that they they make the actual decisions. And yeah, I think it comes down to a lot of things in terms of like what any investor, because like you, you really have to treat it as an, any other like fund yeah. and how they would treat you. So, you know, we had traction, we had a we found a market fit and we had a vision that aligned, like a bigger vision of a new world of work that we are so for sure we're shaping. But we could easily track that down to this little thing that we're starting with now, which is this employee referral program. But it's going to be so much bigger, right? And so we had to treat it like that. I think that, I think you can, if you have the, the good traction, that story, that founder market fit, that vision, and something unique, you know, we're, we're operating a lot of unique and contrarian insights of Tangent. I think that that caught their attention. So yeah, I think that's what I think. And you just applied <laughs> you know? online? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost didn't apply, which is quite interesting because I thought we were too early. Wow. You know, it's, uh, we, we, yeah, we didn't, we had some stuff, you know, I'd seen other, some of the other companies that had gotten funded from them in the previous and I thought, oh, wow. And I actually met some of the other founders and they were doing, you know, 10, 20K in MRR and we weren't even close to that. So I was just like, geez, <laughs> is this for me? Like, I just, you know, we'll see, right? I just thought, you know, again, have them disqualify us and don't disqualify yourself. I think that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm early by now. And, Thank God I do, because I could have missed out on this incredible kind of like defining period. Mm. Cause it's not only just like the money and the community and so forth, you can use the Google kind of the name in so many other ways. Yeah. Like when we're hiring now, you know, we are Google backed that does have bring, you know, creates like a certain cachet around you. You know, we get able to attract talent um, in that sense. And, you know, we've just made our first hire and he definitely does kind of attribute like that kind of messaging that we put out as a reason why he was even interested. He wasn't looking for a job. So yeah, there's a lot that I think that, that has benefited us from that. I believe a lot more that will come over time. Yeah, it's very impressive. And I, I actually love that value, like get disqualified out rather than qualify yourself in. Mm. I think it's a really nice way to think about a lot of decisions in business and life. So what is the, like, where is Tangent going to be in, in five years? Like, how, how do you set goals around that for, for yourself personally and, and professionally for somebody with, with your drive? Yeah, so I think when I, when I see, look at Tangent, I, I do think there's a, there's a lot of room to like really upend the current way companies hire and the tools and systems and services they currently use are, I think in many ways are fundamentally broken. And that needs to change. I think there's a lot of room now for new solutions that are embedded with mission to stand out in the market. Because I think particularly yeah. like, I'll be very clear, like I'll be very candid, we're recruitment tech, you know, hiring, which isn't the most sexy kind of space. And it's also incredibly crowded. You have to cut through the noise. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to leverage the uniqueness of what we're building with the mission that we have to really like just mm. shift and shake things up. So we do see a new world of work where, you know, opportunities are a lot more equitable 
Companies are thriving, performing much better. Uh, economies consequently are better as yeah. well. And that's stemming from us. Like we just see a whole new world of work, of life. And we're on that mission to shape that. And you want to have 10,000 employees, 200, or is it not about that? 10,000, you're, th you're <laughs> thinking too small. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as as much as we need to be, to have the impact that we have, right? Like we, we definitely have a, I think, Oftentimes people say, you know, founders that come out of this kind of market downturn are going to be create outlier businesses because like the discipline you have to have around yeah. capital efficiency and so forth. So, and we definitely have that. We have to think lean and capital efficient by force of the market that we're in. So, you know, I don't measure success by a number of employees, of right? You know, so I'm not really thinking I, I need to build a business with this many people. It's more about like, you know, obviously revenue and profitability and, you know, scale and you know, that and that kind of, and the impact, of course, you know, it's very important that we have a business model that has impact embedded in it. So the more we sell, the more impact we have, and that's what we've got. But yeah, I think I just see a whole new world. I think there, that that will happen. It needs to happen. We're uniquely going to shape that. And we have a, we have a thesis on how we approach upending and reshifting the HR industry, which is, you know, over a trillion dollar in size. We are going to deliver on that thesis. Nice. Okay, so one of my final questions for you is, if you had to be critical of, of your own success at this point with Tangent, what would you have done differently? I know it's only been a year, so it's a, a relatively short period of time, but yeah. can you reflect on you know what could what you could have done better as as the founder to, to help other founders that are listening? Yeah, I mean, geez, almost too many things. Yeah, I'll share, I'll share what comes to mind. So I think... I think a lot of things might be around fundraising. I think that during fundraising, I would have spent initially before actually going out to fundraise and speaking to angels and VCs and syndicates, I would have tried to, I would have spent more time and built my network with more founders, particularly founders that had just raised a pre-seed or a seed round. I think that oftentimes when you're a founder and you're trying, you want to fundraise, you kind of flock towards investors and you want to like talk to them and get their time. You go to a networking event, you find the angel or the investor there. I, if, if I was to go back, I would spend less time doing that and actually spending more time building our relationships with founders who have just raised because they've just gone through it. Mm. They would have the more applicable and relevant advice to share about how to fundraise in a particular market. Then also, you know, if you build up a good relationship with them, they're also a great route into finding investors, right? You, I mean, now obviously I have, uh, you know, we have a group of investors. When I make an introduction, to someone or send someone's blurb over to one of my investors, you know, oftentimes they do want to, they'll take the call because, you know, it's coming from a portfolio yeah. founder. They'll take, so I spend more time actually building relationships, learning from current founders that I've just raised and then trying to use them as a conduit between myself and investors rather than going straight for the investor themselves. That would be something I'd do differently. I'll also do more mock pitches with other founders. So not like the first time I try something is on an investor. I would like try and actually do that yeah. with friendly founders who can give me that kind of feedback in a safe and kind of like on like not insignificant kind of, you know, if, they, if they rip me to pieces, there's no kind of consequence yeah. to that, right? I think those would be some of the things that I would do differently. When we were fundraising, I spent too much time focusing because, you know, in this market, I was just saying that it's very hard to fundraise and you need to have traction and so forth. So I spent too much time talking about traction and product and uh, traction, you know, the sales we had and users we had and so forth and not enough on vision and team. Mm. And that that resulted in a few no's and we've got some feedback on that. And that was really interesting. So just making sure you're hitting all the things that you need to don't get too kind of bogged down into, onto any one particular dimension of it. And I think ultimately I would really say just like believe in yourself. And, and it's very, it's like, you know, it's hackneyed banal advice, but I think it's really, it's, it's really important to make sure that you know, like don't don't doubt yourself. And actually, if you make mistakes, which are inevitable, everyone makes them. Mm -hmm. It's like, you no, know, failing isn't the, or making mistakes isn't the process going wrong. It is a part of the process. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I start to see things that way, you know, it just started to relieve a lot of pressure off of me. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone gets told that everyone mistake, like fails. And that's normal. What you have to do is make sure you have a quick, Kind of pace of learning and pace of execution on those learnings to go forward. And yeah, I just feel like, you know, when you do make mistakes when you're gonna do them, Gary, don't doubt yourself. Trust that actually the learnings you will extract from those learnings, failures, etc., you need to actually go through because you apply that in such yeah. a way that you will eventually win. And so you'll be fine. I think those are some of the key things that I would say to a former Gary or a founder who is you know, embarking on this journey yeah i love it uh so 
now that you're at this point, do you have it all under control? <laughs> Hard no. No, not at all. Like, no. Like, I, lots to learn, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. lots to figure out. And I think that's, I think that's always going to be like living in uncertainty and embracing, you know, ambiguity. That's just, I think that's just the way it is. If I had it all under control, it'd probably be a bit boring. I wouldn't probably be learning as much and I thrive in, in learning environments. So no, I don't have it kind of all dry. I'm, you know, oftentimes anxious and nervous and it's it's difficult. Yeah. But I just go back to what I said, I just really do believe that I will just figure it out. Like what's challenging right now is that, you know, we fundraise and we've got this, like lots of like great investors and we've got good runway and so forth. But there's so many things that I, I have to do that I've never done before. I have no idea how to do it, but I'll figure it out. You know, that, that I've done too many things now from you know, the start of my career and everything with tangent that has, I've, I've learned that things will be hard and I don't know what I'm doing all the time, but I am smart enough and I work hard enough to be sure and I'm exceptional enough to that I will figure it out. And when I do figure it out, it will be really good. Like it will be top results. Yeah. So no, I, I don't, so, but so, I believe so I will. It's, is it that self-confidence that helps you overcome the anxiety? Cause like when I, you know, reflect back on, on my career, certainly mm -hmm. like that pressure of the number or building revenue, knowing that you've got a cash out date it was like incredibly hard. Yeah, for sure. And like how, out with the self-confidence, like any practical tips for, for people that maybe have that doubt or that fear of what the future holds to, to overcome it? Like for, for other founders that, you know, maybe don't have that much cash left or are, are feeling the pressure right now, anything that you can share? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I've not been in that situation myself to, you know, feel that I can quite provide qualified advice. Not yet, but... I mean, when I'm feeling these challenges or situations, I think as people probably you know, grasp from this conversation, I'm quite vulnerable. So I spend a lot of time just like talking to people. Yeah. So like, I don't, like a problem shared is a problem halved, I think, or something like that, right? So I think that's the saying, I don't keep things to myself. I'm very open with my friends, you know, and talking about these particular challenges with other founders. As I mentioned, we've every, if a founder's like, you know, Seed Series A, like they've gone through everything that I've gone through. Like there's no unique experience that I can go through that I know a plan hasn't done. We all go through the same things, right? So just talk to other people. And not only is that cathartic, right? It's therapeutic to get that off your mind and not just keep these things in your head. There's oftentimes like really incredible advice that either your friends or definitely other founders that can provide you that at least kind of sways the yeah. pressures that you have, right? Because the pressures are real and they're there. But if you can hear from someone that, you know, I went through this and this is what happened, we overcame it, or this is what I would do. Like just collect other insights and experiences I find beat to be really helpful for me. I don't exist in isolation. Nice. I don't. I always talk to other people and seek counsel. I, you know, I don't try to pretend that I have all the answers. I don't have like an ego or kind of like yeah. bravado in that sense. And that's, I think that's what's helped. Yeah. A lot, actually a lot of the things that have felt like quite critical and like quite, you know, significant, like this could be the end. I've been able to overcome just for a conversation with someone. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason that I wanted to to have these conversations because yeah. I think that early stage, there's so many challenges. And I think just hearing from people like yourself, it's incredibly inspiring. I've taken a ton away from the conversation <laughs> and how can businesses find you so that you can sign some clients off the back of this, sure, but sure. also how can <laughs> other people find you and get in touch because uh, you've got a, a ton of wisdom to share. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Stuart. So yeah, check us out on jointangent.com. So one word, J-O-I-N-T-A-N-G-E-N-T.com. That's a website, you can learn everything about us there. And then I'm most active on LinkedIn. So Gary Izunua, I'm sure you know, my name will be in the show notes yeah, yeah. and so forth. So just, yeah, happy to chat and talk. And, you know, I think that, you know, I don't have a, a, you know, a, a ubiquitous amount of time free, but where I can help, even if it's like just pointing a resource in your direction or connecting you with someone else or, always happy to, you know, I think I'm very much a founder for founder, like type of person. Yeah. I think this is so hard what we do that what I can do to help support others, like I will try my best to do. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Stuart. Great. Well, that was awesome. Gary is one of the most engaging people I have ever met and his drive is truly infectious. He's gone out there with a big mission and huge personal drives to make this business a success. And with the backing and support of organizations like Google, I'm really excited for where Tangent will go in the coming years. Stay tuned for the next episode next week. And thanks so much for listening.